We are back. We are doing it again. We're doing it again. Multi-generational Mark's Madness. You know it. You love it. We're here and we're not going anywhere. Nathan's yes. back. David's back and, and Cecilia came by to, to, and to Cecilia shout. Cecilia came by. We yes. have a liter of Red Bull. Uh, is that a dangerous amount of Red Bull? It might be. I don't know. Yeah. I don't ask questions when it comes to Fe- insane amounts of caffeine. Fear not. Cecilia's not the one having Red Bull. No, that's going to Nathan because yeah. uh, Nathan Nathan likes to do these things where he gets sad. And when Nathan gets sad, Nathan drinks a lot. And then he does a podcast for you all. And you all suffer through Nathan being sad and, and inebriated. And that's just a thing that happens sometimes. So tonight, Nathan's going to swing that pendulum to the other side and over-caffeinate himself to the point that he can't, that he can see colors or hear colors or I don't know. We're losing the thread. David, welcome back. We're doing it once again. We were doing it once again. That is, that is much more depressing than the no red bull on a school night joke I was going to make, but we'll go with that. Oh, yeah. Well. (laughs) <laughs> the world the world is a cold terrifying place sometimes yes. and we are yes we are here we are here to bring hopefully a little bit of levity yeah. uh if not if not some education a little bit of current events a little yes. bit of this a little bit of that um yeah. that being said this is Mark's Madness Pod we read books and today we are reading the end of a book which is always a fun and exciting time here at Mark's Madness Pod headquarters yes uh it is fantastic we- times it is oh, just closing book and going, yeah, mm-hmm. I will forget all of this knowledge promptly, you know, like you do. Yes. I, I joke. We don't forget. We forget nothing. We're elephants. <laughs> uh, I'm not an elephant. Uh, when you say that, and then you can rattle off all sorts of random facts at me that I don't know. And so then, I'm and then still you'll come call to you else. Yeah, but but it's when it, it comes back into my brain. You'll come to the next episode. And I'll be like, what's the name of that country? That That's... <laughs> <laughs> David forgets the names of his uh, close friends and loved ones, but does know the entire, uh, every name of everyone involved in the Yugoslav Wars. Uh, <laughs> and these are just the trade-offs you make to be a good communist. I'm sorry if you if you're not willing to do that. You're you're you know you gotta you gotta make sacrifices yeah. sometimes. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, <laughs> but that being said, David, uh, let us briefly, I think this time, because I feel like we'll have plenty of uh, of book and and synopsis of book and everything else ready to go. Um, and, and realistically, just uh, behind the curtain of Mark's Madness Pod headquarters, we're recording this three days. This is March the 9th. So we are three days off of our last recording when Nathan yeah. got real sad and, uh, and, and asked David a bunch of questions he wasn't ready for. Uh, <laughs> and so we not a lot has has happened in the last three days now that's not to say that you know well, there's not a devastating uh I, conflict going on that is causing loss of life on both sides that you know shouldn't be happening um but nonetheless uh there there's not a lot of big points uh not not that any of these developments are small no but a uh, a, a very depressing thing that did come up that's uh that got pointed out in discord uh preemptive pre- plug for the discord join the discord it's a good place um and we have comrades from inside uh that are on both sides of this conflict in inside of discord mm-hmm. uh that are bringing us as much information and as much perspective as they can which has been extremely helpful during these times uh so again a good place to be and a place i recommend uh that being said apparently uh Everyone, your your Bay and mine, Vlad, Vladimir Zelensky, uh, did sign into effect a law that allows all citizens to carry weapons of war and use them against Russian soldiers, which is is terrifying. And again, this is where I was saying the playbook has turned this into Afghanistan. 
right? Oh yeah, they've um, admitted that. They didn't Hillary yeah. come out and say yeah, like Hillary exactly said that. that? Hillary said that, like it was some kind of good thing. Like we're going to be excited when we heard that. Um, <laughs> like, like we're not supposed to hear that. And go, wait a minute, what happened last time that happened? Hang um, on, I, yeah. I, I think I remember the mm, arm. Mm, oh, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, there we go. yeah, yeah, bad things. But uh, the concept um, of every citizen wielding weapons of war, whatever weapons of war means, I'm just imagining. <laughs> I'm just imagining dear old babushkas with, you know, RPGs at this point. Well, I'm, uh, I'm certainly hoping, and again, there's a certain amount of the population that is, you know, very much nationalistic, right? I mean, we know that. That's, that's you know, the important thing when they talk about, oh, you know, Ukraine only has a few Nazis or whatever. It's not the number of Nazis, although that's a problem. It's that the Nazis, you know, they get their way, right? And it doesn't matter what president's in office. They've explicitly said, you know, they would kill them. There was the, the diplomat who was negotiating peace with Russia who spoke up and, and said, hey, you know, maybe we should talk peace and take this peace. And he wound up dead, two bullets in the head, right? Yeah, that'll happen. Yeah, um, I mean, it's it's very much mafioso run by Nazis, um, and they're in, you know, they're in every police department. I mean, that was one part of Minks, right, is is when they broke it up, they spread the Nazis out everywhere. And there was already, it's not just Azov, there's Azov, there's Adar, there's Pravi Sector, um, which, you know, I mean, all of that, that has it. And so that's the problem, is it's it's not the number of Nazis, it's the power that they have. Right. And that, well, yeah. And it, again, it's, it's also, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but this has been a big thing that I've been getting. It, there's something about state sanctioned Nazis. Yes. That seems to be an issue because again, a, oh, Azov's only 600 people. That's not a big deal. Okay. Counterpoint 600 people isn't a big deal. Why are you sanctioning them to be in your military? What are they fucking terminators? Like yeah. unless they have unless they have mech suits, they shouldn't be so important to your cause that you would officially sanction them unless you explicitly agree with their ideology and are totally cool with that and would see no problem with inviting Nazis into your inner ranks. Well, yeah, but conversely, the thing I was going to say is is what might be Please. what might be accidentally good about this law, right? Is that obviously there's a terrifying number of nationalists and that that nationalism is going to be more prominent as you go west just because of the the unique history of Ukraine where it's very, you know, just like the United States has has the, the red state, blue state history that gets certain parties, even though they're both really the same, uh, gets certain parties um, voted into office and the Republican states get to get away with a little more from the ruling class stuff, right? There's conditions in the history of Ukraine that are much more intense that have got the more, you know, um, Nazi, yeah, more East West, right? Where the, the East is, is, uh, you know, more simple, um, um, sympathetic with Russia and the West, you know, identifies more steadfastly Ukrainian. And, uh, um, so I the mean, the West is also to be to be clear, just just to clarify, the West is also the area that tends to be more traditionally what I understand is liberal. <laughs> yes, like yes. they're they're the ones that are far more wanting to join. That would be the group that would want to join, to join NATO. The That's EU, the group that NATO, wants to join the yeah. EU. All of that kind of stuff. Okay, yes, just, yes. just making sure I'm general. On the same page. I mean, we're not talking like it's not like you know some percentage in the East doesn't do that, and some percentage of the West doesn't huh. want to. But uh, but that said, you know, even with those dynamics. If you're letting every citizen get armed, and and obviously the rise of nationalism is, is terrifying there, and you've got to tell them, you know, oh yeah, I'll fight Russia, it's, it's defend against Russia, right? I, I don't know how much they're monitoring that. If they're just handing out guns, remember, Zelensky 
pretty much rules the way he does, probably under threat of, of Nazi death, right? Probably worried about being like strung up or shot or something. There's, there's, you know, he, he ran on a campaign against, um, Poroshenko as like, the peace guy and like we'll we'll make amends and bring everybody together and against Russia and got like eighty percent of the vote. So Damn. if that eighty percent still feels that way about mending things with Russia and you're giving them guns and and the not you know, I mean this this might accidentally turn good. That said, the much more likely thing is that it yeah. doesn't because they're fucking yeah. guns in people's hands. The much more likely thing is that we're going to funnel in a lot, a lot, a lot of Western yeah. arms, munitions, yes. and so, weapons of war that are going to get taken up by radical groups that are going to fight a forever civil yes. war inter so, conflict. So I do want to impart some optimism, but I don't want that optimism to be blind <laughs> hope. Okay, man. There's Nathan there's doing the optimism and Nathan doing the hyper pessimism today. This is yeah. this is fun. Uh, <laughs> speaking of, this was uh, on a on a mildly lighter note. Uh, David, I'm te- I'm a DMing you a picture now in Discord. Uh, my I I've been doing a lot of of thinking, and apparently so has my six year old child because he came home today. Uh, it was Library Day. Yeah. And he busts in the door. He busts in the door, and he's like, "I've got my book for the week." And his book for the week, David. Can you uh, can you tell me what it is? Okay, his book for the week is Ukraine, <laughs> Enchantment of the World. Interesting. <laughs> I have no idea what a kindergartner is being allowed. To, what what is going on in the in the public school in the public school library where my kindergartner is just wandering around finding books on Ukraine? Uh, good on him, I guess. Yeah, doing some independent re- doing some independent <laughs> research on 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 an enchantment of the world that yes. is Ukraine. Yes, but uh, but yes, that was that was fun and exciting. <laughs> um, uh, oh, and I I was gonna say if 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 we're gonna chuckle a little bit about things, did you see Nathan? Uh, Gorbachev is still alive. Oh, don't remind me. Why do you have to keep bringing me this kind of trauma, because my man? Because now he has to see a company leaving Russia. Has it shuttered? Has it shuttered? Did they do it? Pizza Hut is pulling out of Russia. That <laughs> happened! The meme happened, gang! We did it! Which, I mean... If you follow history backwards, this is a really good sign for the Russian people, right? Guys, guys, McDonald's has pulled out. Pizza Hut has pulled out. We are like three, we are like two minutes from that Simpsons meme where they just flip the thing over at the UN and it says USSR and and Lenin just punches his way out of the casket and says must crush capitalism. Like, we are so, all right, we're being... Apologies if anyone if we're not trying to make light of the situation. No, uh, I think we've I think we've done as as much uh, serious analysis of this as as we possibly can up to this point. But God damn it, we need a little bit of hope and optimism. And and someone's people have brought it up. I think I brought it up to to Dave or I was I was having an argument with my dad the other day. Uh, not an argument, a discussion. He's I'm getting him. I'm going to get him one of these days. Um, <laughs> That, that's that's my great white whale. I'll get that. I'll get that old bastard. Uh, but uh, we were talking, and he's like, "Yeah, no, it's crazy. They want to, you know, they might destabilize Russia. You know, Putin might get out. They might destabilize him, and then you know, power vacuum." I'm like, 
I mean, the opposition party that might take over in a power vacuum is the Communist Party. I yeah. mean, yeah, you might accidentally coup your way back into communism if <laughs> if you if you pull this off without a good. What what are you gonna do? Put Navalny up or whatever his fucking name is? Like that's not gonna be a that, that's not gonna be a, a viable puppet leader. No, oh, no, yeah, maybe now, it's the communists. Navalny will not get. You know, I mean, he's an overt fascist that that wanted to basically do war crimes in in Georgia in and genocide in Georgia and. and and called Muslim cockroaches. He's, he does not have any support. So no, 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 no. He's got yeah. no, he's got no support. But uh, uh, well, again, legitimately, there's a big sector of the Communist Party that's taking an anti-war stance and and being some of the yeah, biggest anti-war advocates uh, in the Duma. And so that is unfortunately some conflict within the Communist Party because there are people resisting that anti-war stance. I guess to oppose NATO. So I I mean I get it. You know, and and but uh, they're going to have to. That's the kind of thing you come to a democratic central centralized decision on, and you need to be clear and and stick to your line on. And that decision should be anti-war. But that that could really spark something. Again, people are pissed off right now because because of infrastructure issues. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, people have complained about. Anything from garbage to, to, to plumbing to electric, you know, issues to, to subway issues, um, yep. in, in Russia for a long time. And then he really pissed people off with the pension cuts. So people could be pretty unhappy with him right and, now. And if people are unhappy, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. And again, this is, this is complete. I am not an expert. I'm not anything. Yeah. I'm a dumbass, but I'm just a dumbass that, that wants to try and end it. <laughs> if it seems to be mm-hmm. that. Ever, the entire world, the West in general, is pushing Russia into this corner. Yeah. And that corner is we won't, the only person that will do business with them or won't overtly sanction them into oblivion seems to be China. Right. China, it, and it, China's bringing them onto their pay system, onto everything else. If you put, I mean, if Russia gets pushed and is, is backed into a corner and their only ally is China, Venezuela, these countries that are already overtly socialist. Yeah. There are worse things in the world than there. I mean, there might be, you know, there's a non-zero chance in my mind that 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 would be enough to spark it to 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 have some sort of pushback. But I don't know. Yeah. On on the other side, you know, as far as multipolarity, right, and 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 de-dollarization, yeah. this could could really spark de-dollarization and, um, you know, whether it's Putin in for his own power, or different Russian leaders, and I think I think you know, best case scenario is obviously you know. Russia's taken over by communists, uh, but most likely, best case scenario is that would happen after you know a, a ceasefire in Ukraine, right? Because that that happening during the ongoing conflict could be a big opening of invasion and instability. Um, it could but, be, but the last time Russia had, I mean, the last time Russia had a revolution that led to the communists taking over, it was due to a very unpopular war. That's uh, that's true, and it came with a very unpopular treaty, and it took them a little while to recover from that. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, yes, yeah. that was uh, that was quite quite the, the the revolution. Very happy, very happy that, that uh, happened. Yeah, I wouldn't not, mind that. Not upset. Um, not upset. But uh, but again, you know, I mean, we're cheering for what's best for for the Russian people, and they're suffering under sanctions, and and so you know, I and to mean, be clear, what's best for the Russian people, the Ukrainian people, all the people mm-hmm. involved in this conflict that are not overt Nazis. Yeah. Anybody that's not an overt Nazi, I'm generally in the camp of. I'd mm-hmm. prefer they not die senselessly in some, yes. you know, pissing contest. You know, and and I, again, I can see where because Putin's language is denazification, and we talked about this. If if he feels like 
all of the negotiations are gone back on because every time he has an agreement with someone, they come home and Nazis say, you take this agreement, we'll kill you like a fucking mafia. Right. Like he's got to get that element out. I, I, I get where he's coming from with that. But other than that, I, it's completely unnecessary, you know, escalation. Right. Yeah. And and we don't like that. But we do like the stopping the Nazis from murdering people in the Donbass. We do. We we obviously want to stop murdering people in the Donbass. I, yes. I, I agree with that. But I also I, I think and again, maybe I'm wrong, but my material analysis, look at what the way the world works, look at the way everything happens. neo-nazism is an ideology and i think we talked about this a little bit on the last episode correct me if i'm wrong because i uh i have blurry recollections of the last episode but killing an ideology is hard it's It's not as easy as just bombing a country no it it is not something where you're going to you unless you find every single nazi and kill them and even then I don't know if that's enough. It, it, waging a war on an ideology like denazification, when you don't have a country that says we are overtly Nazis like Germany was in World War II, it's not that easy. It's not. No, it's trying to make the. It's trying to paint a good guy, bad guy narrative, but it's just not that easy. No, and again, I don't know how genuine Putin is with that. I think he wants the Nazis out of like in government power so he can negotiate. Oh, I agree. But I don't think he gives a shit about the Nazis being in Ukraine, right? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. um. But it would be it's it's an unwinnable it's an unwinnable position to put yourself in to say we're going to eliminate Nazism. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think he's going for that. Again, if he was that that ideological, I don't know. I don't know how that would work because you can't. I mean, you could kill all of them, I guess, but you'd really have to have like cooperation and leadership in Ukraine on your side and stuff, and that's not going to happen. Um, but again, I think he just wants them beaten back so that he can, you know sign a, a peace treaty and accord and not have it violated a month later because the Nazis threatened the president, you know? Hopefully. Um, and you can do that. The problem with that is if there's a strong established government that's holding that force down and then you topple that government in the name of stopping that force, that force is going to flourish. If you mm-hmm. just cut off the heads of that force, it's not going to die, but it's going to be beaten no. back. And I think that's what he's going for. And it's just a matter of, and again, I think he's what he's going for for his own capitalist ends. You know, he feels it's a threat to his energy trade. He feels it's a threat to his, you know, I mean, he lost his gas pipeline. And and Russia still holds a lot of strong energy cards. I think they might be able to break out of sanctions, you know, by leveraging energy. And I'm kind of surprised they haven't done that yet. Um, because Europe is 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 staring it down right now with, with wheat and gas and things like that. Um, but... But honestly, I, I, I get where he's coming from with that. What I think is unnecessary is, you know, there are Ill- innocent people dying when he could have just protected the Donbass and dealt with his accords not mm-hmm. going through. But he, you know, he's worried about his election. He lost his gas pipeline. He's worried about his country's economics. And so it escalated. That's that's yep. just how this stuff works when you have an imperialist country. Even if the imperialist country isn't doing imperialism, it can get into an imperialist war. Because it's yep. competing for with relations, it, competing with imperialists for relations that it had established. Correct, exactly, yeah. and and I think that's, I think that's that's about as as nuanced to take as we can give on it right now. Again, where this is, 
that that is enough of a nuanced take that we'll get called Putin stands by anyone. But you're there. You're all not listening to this podcast. Thank God. Uh, we've weeded out. We've weeded ourselves down to a really good uh, audience. That, I think that I. Yeah, I was going to say, I, 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 unless we want to get bombarded with with comments that scream like Stalinist or or whatever the fuck, I think we filtered people out. Yeah, I think I think if we if you got through everything up to this point, you're uh, this isn't surprising to you. Yeah. Um, that being said, we've got a damn book to finish. Yes. So let's go ahead and finish it. Uh, starting with one of the most recent developments in neocolonialist strategy is the suggested establishment of a businessman corps, which will, like the Peace Corps, act in developing countries. That sounds horrific oh sounds terrible i cannot think of a scarier proposition than something called the businessmen corps uh in an article on u.s intelligence and the monopolies in international affairs moscow january 1965 v shernovsky writes there can hardly be any doubt that this core is a new u.s intelligence organization created on the initiative of the american monopolies to use big business for espionage yep nailed it got it got it in one <laughs> It is by no means unusual for U.S. intelligence to set up its own business firms, which are merely thinly disguised espionage centers. For example, according to Chernovsky, the CIA has set up a firm in Taiwan known as Western Enterprises, Inc. Don't be subtle with that. God damn. Don't be subtle. Of course, it's in Taiwan, and it's called Western Enterprises, Inc. Yeah. Uh, Under this cover, it sends spies and saboteurs to South China. The New Asia Trading Company, a CIA firm in India, has also helped to camouflage U.S. intelligence agents operating in Southeast Asia. That such is that I, is, I would love to look up those two firms and see if they're still operating today because I bet money they are. I probably, but such is the catalog of neocolonialism's activities and methods in our time. Upon reading it, the faint-hearted may come to the feel that they must give up in despair before such an array of apparent power and seemingly inexhaustible resources. Know that feeling. Know that feeling. Fortunately, however, history furnishes innumerable proofs of of one of its own major laws, that the budding future is always stronger than the withering past. Holy shit, that's a sentence. Yeah. Fortunately, however, history furnishes innumerable proofs, one of its own major law proofs of one of its own major laws, that the budding future is always stronger than the withering past. This has been amply demonstrated during every major revolution throughout history. The and American Revolution of seventeen. 17- oh no, go ahead. Oh, I do want to. I do want to say too. You know, I mean, we sarcastically talked about the Soviet Union coming back. Certainly, we want socialism back for the people who have suffered since losing it. Um, and for everybody across the world, because we see that as a just system. But as much as we joke, we realize you can't just wind back the clock and like, you know, I mean, when every, every revolutionary change in history, the past can inspire us. We can learn from it. That, that past matters. Um, you know, I mean, we talk about like superstructure and base and part of the superstructure comes from the base, but part of it comes from past superstructure. I mean, there's always these, these strings that can tie back to past history, but you can never put Pandora back in that box. So we want something yeah. new because that's the only way it can happen for it- anyone suffering under capitalism exactly this is not and 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 it's a good point again we are not this is not larping for a past that doesn't exist anymore this is not any any of those kind of kind of things it is just the hope yeah that this can hopefully lead to a productive a spark of a productive future a spark towards the goal that we all know we need and 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 
the USSR is just the easiest thing to point to, especially yeah. since we're dealing with so, the Russian Federation and, and those those related countries. Yeah. So, for example, in our organizing, right, we can use strategies and lessons, what went well, what potentially could have gone well, and we saw what went wrong and what went wrong with past organizing. You know, of course, here in – you know, we're in the United States, right? But we don't think whether, you know, maybe you have a party named after – the Black Panther Party because of the inspiration or named Communist Party or whatever. Even with that, we don't want to just try to reproduce the parties of the past. We want to create something that fits the needs of people and the revolution now and build from there and use those lessons and that inspiration from the past. Exactly. Also, by the way, the New Asia Trading Company is very much a still existing company. At least there is a company that happens to have that exact name um, that does consumer staple products, which consumer staple products is like, you know, meats, grains, that kind of thing. Uh, although it's based in Osaka, Japan. Hmm. So which I, it was I don't said know. it was based in, it said it was based in India, in India at the time. I wonder if India just, so got- I wonder if it's the, yeah, I wonder if it's even the same company. Even the same co- again, because there's a Western Enterprises Inc. and they do gas pipeline holdings, but we also know how uh, capitalism tends to do that thing where it morphs and gets a you know acquired and conglomerated and all those things. So yeah, every once in I a mean, while, honestly, these days too, there is some a little more hands on from politicians in clandestine stuff than I think in the past. It's not always filtered through corporations. You know, we've we've seen anywhere. From the way John McCain pals around everywhere to, you know, Joe Biden having relatives chilling with the, the Ukrainian Nazis to, you know, back in we talked about the Afghan war and, and the stuff Charlie Wilson did, you know, yep. um, I mean, this is all uh, it, it's evolved a little bit. Um, we just need to understand this is a very recent past. This is within lifetimes. And some of this stuff is still true and other stuff is revealing about how neocolonialism works and what we can do to combat it. Yep. The American Revolution of 1776 struggled through to victory over a tangle of inefficiency, mismanagement, corruption, outright subversion, and counter-revolution, the like of which has been repeated to some degree in every subsequent revolution to date. I do love the <laughs> the bumbling American Revolution here. Yeah. <laughs> the, the They sucked, but damn it, they got the job done. Uh <laughs> The Russian Revolution during the period of intervention, 1917 to 1921, 1922, appeared to be dying on its feet. The Chinese Revolution at one time was forced to pull out of its existing bases, lock, stock, and barrel, and make the unprecedented long march. Yet it triumphed. Imperialist white mercenaries who dropped so confidently out of the skies on Stanleyville after a plane trip from Ascension Island thought that their job would be duck soup. Yet till now, the nationalist forces of Congo, Leopoldville, continue to fight their way forward. They do not talk of if they will win, but only of when. Asia provides a further example of the strength of people's will to determine their own future. In South Vietnam, special warfare is being fought to hold back the tide of revolutionary change. Special warfare is a concept of General Maxwell Taylor and a military extension of the creed of John Foster Dulles. Let Asians fight Asians. Briefly, the technique is for the foreign power to supply the money, aircraft, military equipment, and all kinds, and the strategic and tactical command from a general staff down to officer advisors, while the troops of the Puffet government bear the brunt of the fighting. Yet in spite of bombing raids and the immense buildup of foreign strength in the area, the people of both North and South Vietnam are proving to be unconquerable. Hey, gang, let's reread that sentence again. (laughs) I was going to say... 
Let Asians fight Asians. Briefly, the technique is for the foreign power to supply the money, aircraft, military equipment of all kinds, and the strategic and tactical command from a general staff down to officer advisors, while the troops of the puppet government do the brunt of the fighting. Where is that happening right now, gang? Hmm. 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 Yeah. Uh, Nkrumah, as always, just never misses. Yes. Just being dead on. In other parts of Asia, in Cambodia, Laos, Indonesia, and now the Philippines, Thailand, and Burma, the peoples of ex-colonial countries have stood firm and are winning the battles against the allegedly superior imperialist army enemy. In Latin America, despite final punitive expeditions, the growing armed insurrections in Colombia, Venezuela, and other countries continue to consolidate gains. In Africa, we in Ghana have withstood all efforts by imperialism and its agents. Tanzania has nipped subversive plots in the bud, as have Brazzaville, Uganda, and Kenya. The struggle rages back and forth. The surging popular forces may still be hampered by colonialist legacies, but nonetheless, they advanced inexorably. All these examples prove beyond doubt that neocolonialism is not a sign of imperialism's strength, but rather of its last hideous gasp. It testifies to its inability to rule any longer by old methods. Independence is a luxury it can no longer afford to permit its subject peoples, so that even what it claims to have given, it now seeks to take away. This means neocolonialism can and will be defeated. How can this be done? David? Thus far, all the methods of the neocolonialists have pointed in one direction. The ancient, accepted one of all minority ruling classes throughout history. Divide and rule. Damn, that some things just never, ever change. Never change. Quite obviously, therefore, unity is the first requisite for destroying neocolonialism. Primary and basic is the need for an all-union government on the much-divided continent of Africa. Along with that, a strengthening of Afro-Asian solidarity organization and the spirit of the Bandung is already underway. To it, we must seek the adherence on an increasingly formal basis of our Latin American brothers. Furthermore, all these liberatory forces have, on all major issues and at every possible instance, the support of the growing socialist sector of the world. Finally, we must encourage and utilize to the full of those still all too few yet growing instances of support for liberation and anti-colonialism inside the imperialist world itself. To carry out such a political program, we must all back it with the national plans designed to strengthen ourselves as independent nations. An external condition for such independent development is neutrality or political non-alignment. This has been expressed in two conferences of non-aligned nations during the recent past, the last of which, in Cairo in 1964, clearly and inevitably showed itself at one with the rising forces of liberation and human dignity. All the preconditions for all this, to which lip service is often paid, but actively activity seldom directed, is to develop ideological clarity among the anti-imperialist, anti-colonialist, pro-liberation masses of our continents. They, and they alone, make, maintain, or break revolutions. With utmost speed, neocolonialism must be analyzed in clear and simple terms for full mass understanding by the surging organizations of the African peoples. The All-African Trade Union Federation has already made a start in this direction, while the Pan-African Youth Movement, the women, journalists, farmers, and others are not far behind. Bolstered with ideological clarity, these organizations closely linked with the ruling parties where liberatory forces are in power will prove that neocolonialism is a symptom of imperialism's weakness and that it is defeatable. 
For when all is said and done, it is the so-called little man, the bent-backed, exploited, malnourished, blood-covered fighter for independence who decides. And he invariably decides for freedom. Fuck yeah! Goddamn. This, yeah. th- oh, I needed this chapter. That I was, needed that chapter bad. That was some, some rah-rah. You know, and, and very clear stuff, right? You have to have the masses behind you. You have to educate mm-hmm. them. You have to get them on your side of the cause. Because they're the ones that benefit. And it is their blood, sweat, and tears that will win revolution. Because they're winning revolution for themselves. Mm-hmm. Amen. Which takes us to, ladies and gentlemen, Conclusion. In the introduction, I attempted to set out the dilemma now facing the world. The conflict between rich and poor in the second half of the 19th century and the first half of the 20th, which was fought out between the rich and poor in the developed nations of the world, ended in a compromise. Capitalism as a system disappeared from large areas of the world, but where socialism was established, it was in its less developed rather than its more developed parts. And in fact, the revolt against capitalism had its great successes in those areas where early neocolonialism had been most actively practiced. In the industrially more developed countries, capitalism, far from disappearing, became infinitely stronger. This strength was only achieved by the sacrifice of two principles which had inspired early capitalism, namely the subjugation of the working class within each individual country and the exclusion of the state from any say in the control of capitalist enterprise. By abandoning these two principles and substituting for them welfare states based on high working class living standards and on a state-regulated capitalism at home, the developed countries succeeded in exporting their internal problems and transferring the conflict between rich and poor from the national to the international stage. Holy fuck is that a coherent one paragraph like explanation oh yeah oh yeah and and again it's a takedown of social democracy of social yeah. chauvinism um of the correct when people say oh it's social imperialism just because they they can't think of the word one accuse imperialism on the soviet union that's not social imperial that's there's no such word as that you can't just use that word the term social imperialism talks about socialists who back their country's capitalist imperialism ends in order to benefit their people at home right um you know i mean that that's all taken into consideration right there in that that practice and is why the capitalism does it right you cannot tenably keep workers down at home and not have a revolution and so what you do is you lift them up a little bit by finding somebody else to exploit Mm -hmm. which again is such a huge that seems like such an obvious point, but such a huge yeah. thing. Oh, well, it's all about the, you know, it's all about the the, the working class, and we got to get the working class and get the guys in the factories and get all those guys. It's like, guys, guys, the system has intentionally been making them harder to target for this kind of stuff yeah. by raising their living standards. This was not, this. you can't be doctrinaire marks about this and say, oh, well, we just go to the factories and we, we talk to the factory. Like, their conditions are different and they're different because there's somebody else being exploited below them now. Yes. Like you have to be looking at that class and that, that revolutionary potential that exists in those classes. Uh, if you're going to well, get this going. Be- well, and you have to build it in unit. Like you can't, you can't fight without fighting for unit. And we've said this before, you know, 
Nkrumah just said it right here. You can't fight without fighting for unity. But there's so many times where people will call for unity and they'll intentionally misuse it and mislead you to not caring about the other groups and being exclusive to those who already have a lower set of problems, right? It's like mm-hmm. being, being a family member, right? You know, I mean, we, we all, if you have a sibling that needs something, Right. Like, oh, you have a sibling that, that's a little behind on a bill and, and everybody's, you know, throwing together rent or food for them. You, you don't have unity as a family by going, well, you should think about only stuff that benefits all of us. So you don't need to pay your bills and like, you know, turn your back to them. That's not unity. Right. Yeah. So you have the same thing politically, right? If, if you go, oh, well, you know, let's, let's, you know, if doing class reduction of stuff, right? Oh, we don't care about imperialism. We, we just want the stuff at, we just want the healthcare at home. The healthcare affects everyone. Oh, we don't care about racist policing and, and, and prison abolition. That sounds too extreme. And it's like, no, those are the people, if you want unity, those are the people in, in your revolutionary family that you have to love and reach out in their deeper need. That's how you get unity, right? Yeah. And so if your living standards are lifted up, by further exploitation outside of the country, then your primary contradiction to combat is imperialism, specifically your country's imperialism. Imperialism. Because you yep. are taking down your country's capitalists. Yep. Amen. Marx had argued that the development of capitalism would produce a crisis within each individual capitalist state. Because within each state, the gap between the haves and the have-nots would widen to a point where a conflict was inevitable, and that it would be the capitalists who would be defeated. The basis of this argument is not invalidated by the fact that the conflict which he had predicted on as a national one did not everywhere take place on a national scale, but has been transferred instead to the world stage. World capitalism has postponed its crisis, but only at the cost of transforming it into an international crisis. The danger is now not civil war within individual states, provoked by intolerable conditions within those states, but international war, provoked untimely by the misery of the majority of mankind who daily grow poorer and poorer. When Africa becomes economically free and politically united, the monopolists will come face-to-face with their own working class and their own countries, and a new struggle will arise within which the liquidation and collapse of imperialism will be complete. As this book has attempted to show, in the same way as the internal crisis of capitalism within the developed world arose through the uncontrolled action of national capital, so a greater crisis is being provoked today by similar uncontrolled action of international capital in the developing parts of the world. Before the problem can be solved, it must at least be understood. Good God. One sentence, tattoo it on my forehead. Before the problem can be solved, it must at least be understood. Yeah. It cannot be resolved merely by pretending that neocolonialism does not exist. It must be realized that the methods at present employed to solve the problem of world poverty are not likely to yield any result other than to extend the crisis. Speaking in 1951, the then president of the United States, Mr. Truman, said, The only kind of war we seek is the good old fight against man's ancient enemies, poverty, disease, hunger, and illiteracy, he says as he drops nuclear bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Good guy, Harry S. Truman. Mm-hmm. That was my uh, my insert there, not in Kruma. Yay. Sentiments of a similar nature have been re-echoed by all political leaders in the developed world. But the stark fact remains. Whatever wars may have been won since 1951, none of them is the war against poverty, disease, hunger, and illiteracy. However little other types of war have been deliberately sought, they are the only ones which have been waged. Nothing is gained by assuming that those who express such views are insincere. 
the position of the leaders of the developed capitalist countries of the world, ARC, in relation to the great neo-colonialist international financial combines, very similar to that which Lord Macaulay described as existing between the directors of the East India Company and their agent, Warren Hastings, who in the 18th century engaged in the wholesale plunder of India. Macaulay wrote, The directors, it is true, never enjoined or applauded any crime. Far from it. Whoever examines their letters written at the time will find that there are many just and humane sentiments, many excellent precepts, in short, an admirable code of political ethics. But each exultation is modified or nullified by a demand for money. We by no means accuse or suspect those who frame these dispatches of hypocrisy. It is probable that written 15,000 miles from the place where their orders were to be carried into effect, they never perceived the gross inconsistency of which they were guilty. But he, the inconsistencies was at once manifest to their lieutenant in Calcutta. Hastings saw that it was absolutely necessary for him to disregard either the moral discourses or the pecuniary requisitions of his employers. Being forced to disobey them in something, he had to consider which kind of disobedience they would most readily pardon. And he correctly judged that the safest course would be to neglect the sermons and to find the rupees. That God is damn. That is a very, very materialist analysis of things, right? We talk about that since since Marx when we talk about class interest, you know, and, and why we talk about class interest and how it's a mechanism. You don't this doesn't mean you need to sympathize with your exploiters or not target them as human beings that will still defend their exploitation no. or carrying it out. But it whether they are good or bad people is incredibly inconsequential the system demands they take these actions that harm a greater population right it's You're, it's back to marx it's back to marx and mr moneybags poor yeah. mr moneybags sympathize with mr moneybags yeah exactly I mean, the thing, mr moneybags doesn't it doesn't matter if he likes you or he's nice or he feels bad about firing you when you know when the money hits the table and he needs profit right not just even if he's happy making a modest profit but then he realizes he's going to lose his entire business by being outcompeted by somebody bigger and has to enter into competition you're going to get left behind right yep. now this is the same thing on a level of exploitation and he's talking about the budding he looked at the records of the budding exploitation um and and the beginning of colonialism uh through the east india trading company and and it's just they 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 were trying to be you know not the most evil people on earth and it didn't fucking matter cuz profit came first mhm you don't have to be standing there in a Gestapo outfit mm-hmm. and and waving waving your swastika around to be absolutely complacent in this system and and willing to do whatever it takes to keep it going. Yeah, and once again, I mean, being a bad person on top of that makes it more intense. And so, yes, is worse. So when I say oh, doesn't yeah. matter, I mean like it doesn't overcome the mechanism. It's a lot easier when everyone's when they're like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, and they're comically evil, so it makes it a lot easier to yeah. feel good taking them down. Yeah, but it didn't matter if they weren't, right? They could try to be the didn't best people matter. in the world. The mechanism is the mechanism. Exactly. David, you want to take it away? Yes. Today, the need both to maintain a welfare state, i.e. a parasite state at home, not mincing words there, Nkrumah. God, uh, I fucking... Last two chapters, man. Mm-hmm. And to support a huge and ever-growing burden of armament cost makes it absolutely essential for developed capitalist countries to secure the maximum return and profit from such parts of the international financial complex as they control. However, much private capitalism is exhorted to bring about rapid development and a rising standard of living in the less developed areas of the world. 
Those who manipulate the system realize the inconsistency between doing this and producing, at the same time, the funds necessary to maintain the sinews of war and the welfare state at home. They know when it comes to the issue that they will be excused if they fail to provide for a worldwide rise in the standard of living. They know they will never be forgiven if they betray the system and produce a crisis at home, which either destroys the affluent state or interferes with its military preparedness. Again, you can do horrible, inhumane things in the name of capital, but you don't overstep against capital in the name of humanity. Never. Appeals to capitalism to work out a cure for the division of the world into rich and poor are likely to have no better result than the appeals of the directors of the East India Company to Warren Hastings to ensure social justice in India. Faced with a choice, capitalism, like Hastings, will come down on the side of exploitation. Is there then no method of avoiding the inevitable world conflict occasioned by international class war? To accept that world conflict is inevitable is to reject any belief in coexistence or in the policy of non-alignment as practiced at present by many of the countries attempting to escape from neocolonialism. A way out is possible. To start with, for the first time in human history, the potential material resources of the world are so great that there is no need for them to be a rich and a poor. It is only the organization to deploy these potential resources that is lacking. Effective world pressure can force such a redeployment, but world pressure is not exercised by appeals, however eloquent, or by arguments, however convincing. It is only achieved by deeds. It is necessary to secure a world realignment so that those who are at the moment the helpless victims of a system will be able to, in the future, exert a counterpressure. Such counterpressures do not lead to war. On the contrary, it is often their absence which constitutes the threat to peace. A parallel can be drawn with the methods by which direct colonialism was ended. No imperial powers ever granted independence to a colony unless the forces were such that no other course was possible. And there are many instances where independence was only achieved by a war of liberation, but there are many other instances where no such war occurred. We talk about this too, like one of the great ways to to suppress imperialism coming for you i mean obviously you know the soviet union had plenty of nukes and, and it still fell apart from covert actions so they'll still have to go after you with clandestine actions but to avoid overt war is to have nukes right i mean deterrence is a real thing because of force protest is a real thing because of the threat of force as long as as long as they're scared as long as their best ways to acquiesce ruling class will acquiesce so mm-hmm. The very organizations of the forces of independence within the colony was sufficient to convince the imperial power that resistance to independence would be impossible or that the political and economic consequences of a colonial war outweighed any advantage gained by retaining the colony. In earlier chapters of this book, I have set out an argument for African unity and have explained how this unity would destroy neocolonialism in Africa. In later chapters, I have explained how strong the world position of these who profit for neocolonialism are. Nevertheless, African unity is something which can with, within the grasp of the African people. The foreign firms who exploit our resources long ago saw the strength to be gained from acting on a pan-African scale. B means of interlocking directorships, cross-share holdings, and other devices. Groups of apparently different companies have formed, in fact, one enormous capitalist monopoly. The only effective way to challenge this economic empire is to recover possessions of our heritage and is for us to act on a pan-African basis throughout a union government. No one would suggest that if all peoples of Africa combined to establish their unity, their decision could be revoked by the forces of neocolonialism. 
On the contrary, faced with a new situation, those who practice neocolonialism would adjust themselves to this new balance of world forces in exactly the same way as the capital's world in the past has adjusted itself to any other change in the balance of power. The danger to world peace springs not from the action of those who seek to end neocolonialism, but from the inactions of those who allow it to continue. To argue that a third world war is not inevitable is one thing. To suppose that it can be avoided by shutting our eyes to the development of a situation likely to produce it is quite another matter. Good God, that (laughs) sentence. If world war is not to occur, it must be prevented by positive action. This positive action is within the power of peoples of the areas of the world which now suffer under neocolonialism, but is only within their power if they act at once, with resolution and in unity. And that, guys, gals, non-binary pals, that is Neocolonialism by Kwame Nkrumah. Yeah. We did it! We did it. Blow the poppers. We, ah, let the streamers go. Mission accomplished. Yes. We finished a damn book. We did. And honestly, I I gladly read the whole thing. I would suggest other people read the whole thing. But if that is a lot for someone to read and they're not someone who's going to listen through our whole podcast... Send them to the last two chapters. Mm-hmm. Yep, last two chapters. Or like the first chapter and then the last two chapters. Yeah, there I go. think the intro... The, the, the beginning was, was bangers. The middle the end, the end, middle was very much proof work. Mm-hmm. And then the end was bangers again. Yeah. Um, yeah. All important. We've talked about this before. Marx, any good Marxist work is going to be built like this. It's going to be really good, really tight polemics and, and great, great speaking and great, great, you know, motivational work. Mm-hmm. And then it's going to be a lot of proofing yourself to yeah. make your argument as bulletproof as humanly possible. Yeah, because you're um, a materialist. You have to you know, show the material that you do the conclusions from. And we've seen it in basically every book we've read outside of maybe State and Revolution. State mm-hmm. and Revolution is just bangers front to back. Yeah. You don't skip a track on that album. You just go. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, it's, it, is, it is a trend in these books. Uh, it might be a trend that is broken in our next work. I don't know. We'll see. George Jackson, what do you got for us? Uh, but uh, this will be, that will be a talk for another day. David, yeah. uh, overall impressions of neocolonialism. What, um, what, I think, what does this I think, book leave you with? I think it left me with, definitely it's a, a Pan-Africanist text. You can see where he's coming from there. It also gives me a lot of perspective on the whole non-aligned movement and a little more understanding of it. Um, yeah. And a little more, you know, kind of respect for what they were going for there. There's definitely some things that I, I, disagree with um as far as at the very very end as far as like an assumption that like scare tactics and peace would would happen you know at some point revolutions are just they're they're generally going to be bloody in the first world it's just the the ruling class is not going to give up the the power that easily i don't think so and again nkrumah obviously had a vision for for how things would play Mm -hmm. out that has not necessarily played out in the sure. 50, 50 years since he wrote this. So, but, so to you know, there is there is some room for critique there. Yeah, but nonetheless, we want we always want as much peace as possible. We just need the power in order to do what we need to do to, to stop the exploitation, right? And, exactly. And I think that there is some. It, it is good still even to have that text because that checks you with like, oh no, like we do got to remember to try peace first, and sometimes like. The ruling class will do dirty tactics and try to work around the stuff they always do. And we should be aware that they're doing that. But, and that's probably the biggest takeaway of the book is, is that the ruling class is always adapting, 
Right. And and they are monolithic. Yeah, we, in their in their in their lockstep towards should, what they're trying to achieve. Yeah, but we should never go like, aha, well we've we've defeated this old school way of doing it because it's like mm, they're just going to try something else. Right? You have mm-hmm. to you have to pull the power out from under them. Um Yeah. But but it does give, you know, a little more hope for at least building, you know, some peaceful people's power and then you're going to have to have that or you won't have even be able to 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 handle, you know, by force if you need. Um, and, and so, you know, that's, that's my biggest takeaway from it is, is the evolution of, of the ruling class, the adaptation of the ruling class, um, because it very much is an evolution on, on imperialism, right? Oh, for sure. It shows how, how the tactics changed and mm-hmm. how the combines and all of that changed post when Lenin wrote mm-hmm. imperialism and how, how that worked, especially how that worked more in the developing world. Yeah. Espe- seeing, seeing how this is working in, in the places where capital has to exploit now in order to maintain their system. Because even when Lenin was writing, this sort of exploitation hadn't really hit its zenith yet, I don't think. Yeah. And, um, and again, a lot of the tools the capitalist one of the ways the tools works is it's what if someone was cooperatively helping you develop but then you go under the hood and you look at like um some of the details of these loans right and it's you're telling them how to run their country you're telling them you know even the aid right aid is another thing that you would send but if your aid is comes with an agreement that you have to buy stuff from the country using the money that they're, they're loaning you in aid. It's like, that's not really aid. That's, that's turning your country into a company store, you know? Um, and, and so it shows some of the dirty ways to do it, but also how, you know, you can very easily have a facile comparison to someone having normal relations with your country, which makes it dirty and nasty and a nastier trick by the ruling class in general, but also leaves open the, the, the folk critique from, facile comp you know uh, comparisons right it was like oh well i mean we see it now he specifically talked about china itself and the soviet union and how that was different from the loans given by the the imf and the world bank um and now we see that you know today with china and a lot of the propaganda right yep 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 um with that david any closing thoughts before we move on to to the outro um no I think, uh, no, I think I think, I think that's it. it. I think I think Nkrumah summed it up pretty well. You know, I agree. I agree, and let the work do it. Do do the talking. Um, all right. Well, that being said, uh, shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone. Uh, I think we've already talked about it on the uh, podcast, but if we hadn't at this point, uh, next up, starting when you hear this next week, will be the background uh, and context episode for uh, George Jackson's "Blood in My Eye." Uh, that will be a, uh, uh, definitely a different tone, I think, than what we've done, uh, the last two books, (laughs) a little bit, uh, possibly a little less academic, possibly a little more, uh, heavy on the, on, on the emotional side of things, which I'm, I'm very ready for it. It's very, again, I mean, I've, I've only read it once and and I'm going to have to reread it too, because I read it later on and I'm not as good at reading things the first time and comprehending as I could when I was younger, when I was reading Capital the first time. But um, but from when I read it the once, I, I do remember, and it's very conversational in tone, right? Like he yeah. talks to you like he's talking to you, and he pulls no punches. There'll be like 10 concepts just packed into a sentence. You know, he'll just casually talk about like listening to Mao, and you're like, wait, 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 you know, like, like just get on board and run and come with them. You can't think about like 
wait, what did Mao say, right? Yeah. So we may. So it sounds like we may have to pause. This this book may require a little bit more pause and give context as we're mm-hmm. going mm-hmm. Um, to to make sure that we're not missing anything that that Jackson assumes we would know because uh, we all know that Nathan's an idiot. So yeah. well, I don't. Uh, I, I don't think he assumes that you know. I think he assumes you're. He forces you to be ideologically on board by controlling the tone. Is what I want to say. Okay. And I'm very, I'm very here for that. Yeah. Um, like I said, that will the the context episode uh, background on George Jackson will be will be next week, and then we will dive right into the work starting starting after that. Uh, I think I think we could probably keep it to one episode for context, and then and then jump right into the book, kind of like we did for neocolonialism. Mm-hmm. So that being said, until unless we uh, have to unless something escalates wildly and we have to do another full current events episode between the time you hear this and and the start of George Jackson, we will see you all next time with a new book with that fresh new book smell mm-hmm. uh season seven here we go uh that being said this has been mark's madness pod we read books there are a number of different ways you can reach out to us if you would like to do that uh first way is through email our email address is mark's madness pod at gmail.com next way would be through twitter uh our hell site handle is at mark's madness pod uh dms are open uh, if you need to get us uh, on a more day-to-day level or just want another place that you can, you know, kind of drop in and, and hang out, have some good vibes and get some some good theory discussion going if you'd like to, uh, Discord is always, again, my preferable way to communicate because it is, again, more conversational, lends itself more towards being able to explain yourself, talk, um, and have a real conversation, uh, which I think is what we desperately need to do in these times. Um and our Discord link is in our Twitter bio. You can also email us directly for it if you'd like to get it there. Um, Book Club is rocking and rolling. They are doing uh, Back on the Road by Che Guevara right now. Um, they are working their way through that one, which is, uh, uh, I mean, anything by Shea uh, that I've that I've briefly read has been amazing. So I, I imagine this is up to par as well. Um, so feel free to drop into Book Club if you would like some even more theory in your day. Uh, that being said, David, uh, it's time for a disclaimer. Yeah, so uh, obviously we started this. Um, you know, I had read Capital before, and Nathan was reading Capital f- for the first time, and he came up and said, "Hey, you know, can we read this together? It's something you should do with theory." Um, and Nathan, you know, having a background in philosophy, understands that. And so what we did is we started reading together, and we thought, well, these groups should be more than two people, so we'll record it. We'll see if it's any good, and maybe we'll share it and get a bigger group. And lo and behold, there's you know thousands of you along with us now, and we're we're happy to have you. And ever since the beginning, um, what the vision was for this was that hopefully you're in a party in an organization uh, and you're um, in some kind of political education or reading group there that's reading these books along with us and we're another voice in the crowd we're another por- point of input another point of context um, another you know idea bounced off to help you retain the book understand the book relate the book to your life um, let's say that's not happening let's say you know your reading group uh, your political education group is doing something shorter maybe something more focused on a specific project you're on and you're reading these books on your own hopefully we can be that reading group. We can give you that reflection, that understanding, that context uh, that comes with it. And um, let's say that's not happening. Let's say it's either a book like this, where it was more of an enhanced ebook, and we were reading it word for word, along with um, you know commentary and, and things like that. Or it's something we summarize more, like we did 
passed with, say, Capital or State and Revolution or something. Um, hopefully, we can be that reading group. Or I'm sorry. Hopefully, uh, uh, we can make that work more accessible to you. Um, and whatever it is that we can do to make that work more accessible to you, we're, we're happy to do because we want that work out there guiding your actions. When theory is put into action, it's a phenomenon called praxis. So, by definition, praxis, of course, doesn't exist without theory. And um, theory is useless without praxis. So they go hand in hand. They are tied at the hip. Amen. As always, that being said, this has been Mark's Madness Pod. We read books. My name is Nathan. My name is David. And we will talk to you all next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.